started last week called The Joyful Christian. Uh, and in it, I revealed that there are four spiritual secrets that we can discover in each of the chapters, the four chapters of Philippians, that teach us about what it means to be a joyful Christian. And so we're in a three-week mini-series of chapter one, where we discover the first spiritual truth, which is single-mindedness. Single-mindedness is the first spiritual truth. And when you are single-minded, it affects how you see everything. Last week we talked about single-mindedness affects the fellowship of the gospel. Well, today we're going to talk about how single-mindedness affects the furtherance of the gospel. So let's go ahead and start. Our sermon text can be found on the inside of the bulletin. Philippians 1, 12 through 26. This is Paul speaking. He is in prison and he's writing a letter to the church that meets in Philippi. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I know I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The word of the Lord. Well, this is a special day. I don't know if you know that. August 3rd, there's a national holiday today. I'm sure you've been celebrating it from the day uh, that you woke up. I can see your smiles are nodding in your head that you are. You know, it's fascinating that now this is a bit of an obscure holiday. And as I was doing my research into obscure holidays, as I often do, I discovered some other holidays that I have not been observing. And I wanted to bring them to your attention. For instance, in January 21, 21st, is Squirrel Appreciation Day. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. It's right in the middle of the winter. Food is gone. They've been in a, you know, a little knot hole eating nuts. Uh, someone needs to uh, show them a little love. So Christy Hartgrove in Asheville, North Carolina, an animal activist, started Squirrel Appreciation Day. January 21, put it on your calendars. March 20th is Extraterrestrial Abductions Day. A time when we remember and cherish those that have gone before us or gone far from us, as it were. Tried to find the creator of this uh, day, but we couldn't because it appears that they have been abducted as well. So remember that day. Um, uh, October 23rd, talk show.
show host today, TV talk show host. October 23rd is the birthday of Johnny Carson. And so this day was made to honor all talk show hosts. So on October 23rd, remember Richard Dawson. And remember all of those great talk show hosts, past and present. Now this one is my favorite. I'm sure you all observed this. May 4th, Star Wars Day. May 4th, yes, yes. Here's how Star Wars Day came to be in May 4th. It was actually started by a German news channel that erroneously translated, may the force be with you, with we are with you on May 4th. <laughs> True story. And so May 4th has become Star Wars Appreciation Day. So pull out your lightsaber when May 4th comes. Well, there are other holidays for famous people. We know Lincoln's birthday uh, on February 21st, Martin Luther King's holiday on the 3rd uh, of January, 3rd Monday of January, Washington's birthday. Well, today's birthday is Paul Revere's. So this is National Paul Revere Day. Now, I need to let you know something. I'm lying to you. Today is not Paul Revere Day. In fact, my whole monologue there has nothing to do with Paul Revere. But I wanted to talk about Paul Revere, and so I had to find a segue. And so I think I'm starting a holiday called Paul Revere Day, and I'll probably preach on this next year. What about Paul Revere? Why do we want to talk about Paul Revere? You know, Paul Revere was a silversmith. I don't know if you know that in colonial days. Anyone have any Paul Revere cookware, by the way? Paul Revere cookware, if you look at the bronze on the bottom, he was the first man to be able to roll out sheets of bronze. He was a very talented guy. Well, along came the Revolutionary War. And Paul Revere, like many others, was swept up in it. He was a patriot. He was fearless. He, he knew he needed to play his part. And so he was given a responsibility. And this was in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, the British forces were massive. And Paul Revere was given the responsibility of sending the message uh, to uh, a couple of key folks just in case they came. And so he was given a horse to ride in the event the message came. Now, Revere was very smart. He posted someone on the lookout tower, and so he had two lights, one if by land, two if by sea. And so the message came, it was two by sea, and Paul Revere began his ride. The ride that took him all the way into Charleston, but as he went, he went and he told everyone, and everybody was mustered uh, as uh, they got ready to go ahead and go into this battle. Paul Revere set down his business. Indeed, he took his life into his hands because he knew that he had a mission that was of life and death, and he was responsible for choosing to help. When I look at Paul Revere, and then I look at Paul the Apostle, I see similarities. Paul has been given a responsibility by the church, and by Christ Jesus himself. He has received the message, not that the British are coming, not that death and destruction are coming, but rather there is good news, that God has come into the world, and through his son Jesus Christ, he has brought a message of great joy that will be for all people, peace on earth, for whom his favor rests. This is a message that brings life, and so Paul, who has been affected by this life message, this opportunity to be reconciled to God, has put down everything else in his life. He has made everything of secondary importance.
grab hold of this magnificent obsession of his to know Christ and to make him known. This was what drove him this single-mindedness for the rest of his life, ultimately ending in his death. I look at the life of Paul and then I examine my life and your life. What is it that drives you? What has gotten such a hold of you that has changed your perspective on life? That you would give up everything if necessary to be a part of what you are called to do? What are you so convinced of that is a matter of life and death that we have an opportunity to play a part in? For most of us, we don't know. Sure, we have things we like and don't like, preferences, but something I would die for, something I would live for. But we're going to take a look at what that means because I want to share with you three points from the sermon. Number one, you were made for a mission. You were made for a mission, greater than simply living and dying. But number two, you were made for a master. Your life has a mission, but your heart has a master. We were not made for ourselves. We were not even made fully for the mission. We were made for a master. And finally, we were made to minister. We were made not only for ourselves, not only for God, not only for the world, but for each other. To help one another in this mission. To know this master that God has called us to. So let's take a look at these three points. Number one, we were made for a mission. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now when Paul is talking about what has happened to him, he's been arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, he was imprisoned. Forty men took a vow not to eat or drink until they killed him. He was sent to Caesarea where he was imprisoned for two years, waiting trial, awaiting trial in Rome. He then got on a boat which was shipwrecked. He was then bitten by a viper that should have killed him. Finally, he ended up in Rome, and he is in arrest. He's been arrested, and he is in Rome, in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And Paul simply sums it up in this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is framing his circumstances in the light of this one thing, to advance the gospel. This word in the Greek literally means a pioneer advance. It's when the army engineers, they go ahead to open up the territory so that the army can march. Paul is framing his life in terms of the gospel. He continues in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard or praetorium, as maybe your Bible may say, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, the praetorium, the, praetorium, the imperial guard, refers to the 3,000 elite troops that are Caesar's troops that guard his household in the surrounding area. These are the ones that are keeping guard over Paul, chained to him, six guards a day. It says that it has become known throughout the whole praetorium, these 3,000 guards, as well as other, others in the palace, that my imprisonment is for Christ. You like that benefit where I really come in strong? <laughs> See, he frames his circumstances in light of his effectiveness. See, it's for Christ that this is happening. Why is this getting traction? Because the Imperial Guard knows there's no other reason here 
but only because he only worships Christ. See, he could leave if he said, I will worship the other gods as well. It was a pluralistic society. You know, offer a little pinch of incense to the emperor, say a couple of things to the other gods, and you're out of there. But Paul says, no, I'm standing on the gospel, even if it means me being chained here. And this message of this Christ that he's preaching is reverberating throughout the temple guard. Excuse me, the palace guard. And others who can't quite understand what has gotten a hold of Paul. Not only has it affected the palace, but we see also that it has emboldened the brothers to preach. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, it's the same thing as, ever, as always, follow the leaders. They see Paul pioneering the gospel, setting the way, and though they have fear in their lives of what could happen to them, that they could be arrested too in Rome. They are feeling more bold and more confident in their speaking the word. They're overcoming their fear as they see Paul's single-mindedness. But it's emboldened the brothers to preach, but it's even spurred enemies to preach the gospel. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Okay, what is going on? It appears that there are some enemies of Paul that do not like him. Perhaps they don't like him because of his the way that he spoke, his particular position that he claimed and had as an apostle of Christ. They preached some sort of gospel, but they preached it as a means of popularity to discredit Paul. It was the gospel. Paul was rejoicing in it. But they were trying to forget about him. Look at me. I'm a super apostle. But what is Paul's response? Verse 18. Essentially, who cares? What then? Only then, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. See, Paul is not jealous. not concerned about losing street credibility. In fact, he's not troubled by imprisonment. All that he's wanted, he's getting. See, the Romans wanted to bind Paul, but lo and behold, they've actually released him to proclaim Christ in Rome. And so he rejoices twice. How does Paul live this way? The secret is simply this. When you have a single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. And you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God has not done. Paul has reframed his life around one thing to advance the gospel. And so we must examine our own hearts. What is our response? Why are we here on this earth? You ever thought about it? I think it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But as I look at this list, I see Paul, he doesn't really have life. He's alive, he's in prison, if you call that a life. He doesn't have liberty. He doesn't even really have the opportunity to pursue happiness. Yet Paul is rejoicing. Because Paul has a bigger vision for his life. He realizes he was made for a mission. To proclaim Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 puts it this way. 
All of this is, is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us, you and me, this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. See, it's a message that God has come to reconcile Himself to people. You know, the biggest problem in the world is not poverty, it's not disease. It's not social inequality. It's that mankind is an enemy of God. That is why man has fear. That is why man stays away. Because instinctively they know that they are enemies with God. They are rebels who have usurped God's position. And yet God has come near to us. Because of His own grace and mercy for, for us, He has died in Christ. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. And we implore you, unbelievers, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Paul understood that he was ambassador, an ambassador. And we are ambassadors as well. As though God was making His appeal through us. And so God gives us a platform to speak. <clears throat> sometimes it's a pleasure and sometimes it's a pain. But mission brings meaning to our life. I don't know if you heard this story. It was in Britain of a lady named Lorraine Allard. Who was devastated to learn she was in the advanced stages of cancer. There was only one problem. She was pregnant. Doctors advised her to have an abortion and start chemotherapy right away. Instead, with steadfast courage, she insisted on waiting long enough to give her unborn son a chance to live, telling her husband, Martin, if I am going to die, my baby is going to live. The baby was born on November 18th. They already had two boys. This was supposed to be the last. And as she carried this little baby to term, she started to feel pains in her abdomen. And it was discovered that she had a disease spread from bowel cancer that had been growing for years. And as the doctors told her to get rid of the child, she told them straight away, they were not going to get rid of the baby because I will have lost the will to fight. Well, the baby Liam was born premature at just one pound and 11 ounces. And the nurse picked him up and allowed Lorraine to give him a little kiss before he was taken into an incubator. The treatment began almost immediately, and Mrs. Allen spent her time recuperating. But alas, the treatment was too late, and on January 18th, Lorraine died. Lorraine made a decision. Between my death and this baby's life, I will choose life for them, even if it means death for me. She put the mission of being a mom in this circumstance, higher than cancer. What a beautiful picture of sacrifice. She knew what she had to do. It was single-mindedness that allowed her to go through the pain that happened. My friends, this is not our home. It's not our home. We're made for a mission spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the only reason why the world has not ended and why we've moved on to the next phase is because God is spreading His message through you and me to His children. At that time, 
As 2 Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with roar, and with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid, laid bare. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so if you want to be single-minded, if you want to further the gospel, you must reframe your life. I am a message bearer. I bring the words into life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come where people will hear the words, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. You are the carrier of life and death. And it comes not from yourself, but the message that's impacted you. So what's your situation you find yourself in? Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you have health struggles. Whether for a long time or a little, they just stay with you, nag at you, bog you down. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe you're missing someone. As Leon and I and uh, Mark's brothers and sisters, we've lost our son, Mark. It would be very easy to say, get me out of these circumstances. But God has given each one of us a platform even if it's a platform of pain, to preach Christ. And so you must change your list of priorities. Yes, we have things to do in the world, but ultimately, the number one thing we must do is be ambassadors. So let us find joy and find meaning in our mission. Because if you were a Christian, you were most definitely made for a mission. Well, this brings me to my second point. We were not only made for a mission, we were made for a master. There's something even deeper than the mission. Look at verse 19. Uh, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now as we look at this word deliverance, we think deliverance means freed from his prison. Going in and finding that liberty again, let go. But we discover that he's not talking about deliverance as in his circumstances. Because verse 20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but I will have full courage now as always that Christ will be honored in my body. The word deliverance in the Greek, soterios, means salvation. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of God, this, all of this, all that's happening for me, all of the challenges as I stand and I proclaim Christ as my master will turn out for my salvation, that I will make it to the end. Because it is my eager expectation that I might not be ashamed, that amidst prison and amidst my circumstances, I would never deny my master. Rather, I would have full courage now and always that Christ would be honored in my body. This word honor is actually in the Greek, mega luthesni. Luthesni means to be lighted, and mega obviously means to be lighted big. Ever been to Times Square? There's a lot of mega luthesni in Times Square, isn't there? But Paul is saying, it's my uh, hope and courage now and always that my life, notice in my body, mega luthesni, that I would be the billboard that I would be lit up with love for Christ, that people would see that He is my Master, either by my life, 
in the manner in which I live, how I speak, my relationships, or by death in the manner in which I die, whether here in this prison or of old age or whatever. Why, Paul? What's, why is that your desire? Because, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. Life equals Christ. Christ equals life. For Paul, it's the reason I exist. It's the ultimate goal of my life. It is the fulfillment that I have been seeking for. To live is Christ. To me, I am committed. I am single-minded. I don't know about you, says Paul, but for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. The truth of the matter is Paul understood something that we know in the center of our hearts. That we were made for a master. There is a center in our hearts, a hole right here that's vacant. It's empty. It's also hungry. There's a longing in the souls of man for meaning, for something to put in, something to worship. And so we move throughout our lives experimenting, trying to find that something, that peg that will fit the round hole. But the truth of the matter is nothing fills the emptiness because we were made for the Master, Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, I no longer have to believe in Him by faith. I no longer have to pray to Him in faith, but rather I can see Him face to face. I get more of Him. To die is gain. I can just see Paul talking with the soldiers. Alright, what are we going to do with this guy? Alright, Paul, we're going to keep you in prison to live as Christ. We're going to torture you to live as Christ. We're going to starve you to live as Christ. Alright, we're going to kill you to die as gain. See, it's unstoppable, isn't it? To live as Christ, to die is gain. Life is Christ. I don't know if you remember these t-shirts. They were out for a while. Some people are still wearing them. And they simply have kind of a slogan. Football is life. The rest is just details. I don't know if that's you, by the way. Football is life. Well, how about this? If you are one of those good early dudes, surfing is life. The rest is just details. In other words, surfing is it. Everything else, it kind of fits below. But I have found life. See again? Fantastic. <laughs>
whatever it is that you're putting your heart in, is it as passionate about you as you are about it? Did it get up on a cross and die for you? You see, Jesus Christ gave all of himself to us. And so he will not settle for anything less than all of you. So you must reframe your life in the mission of Christ. You must reframe, reframe your heart in the mastery of Christ. Mark, my son, had a very interesting thing he found in his journals. He said this. He said, if I let go of everything else, Christ will become my obsession. So make a train. Whether it's good stuff in your life, whether it's bad stuff in your life, what matters is, is it the ultimate stuff in your life? Christianity, frankly, isn't that complicated. It's pretty simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. But at some point, Christ calls us to be single-minded. Christ is life. The rest is just details. If you want to know Him like Paul, if you want to, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of whatever's going around, to be able to say, I rejoice and I do rejoice, but to live is Christ and to die is gain, you must surrender your heart and your life to a master. The only true believer is a single-minded surrender believer. Committed to surrender, I should say. Well, this brings me to my last point. We were made for a mission. We were made for a master. Well, we were made to minister. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain, but he goes on. Verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Gosh, I want to go be with Jesus. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What I want is this, but what is needed is for me to be with you, to help you grow, Philippians, to come alongside you. And so in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. See, we were not meant simply for a mission to outsiders who don't know the gospel. We were meant for ministry to others who know the gospel. To strengthen them. To be a part of helping them to grow in making Christ their masters. See, we were meant not just to complain to the outside. Did you know that you are a minister? You're a minister. Really? That's why I thought it was you in the ministry. No, I'm a pastor. Pastor in Greek, poemic, shepherd. Minister, diakonos, servant. We're all ministers to one another. We were meant to serve. We were meant to care. We were meant to help the body grow. What's amazing, my son also wrote this. He said uh, that if I let go of everything else, Christ will become my obsession. And he commands me to love others. This is a ridiculous task if I'm living a life of self. See, I'm not just talking about this go to a cave somewhere and live this life of asceticism. If I'm single-minded for Christ, it will move my heart to the world, but it will move my heart for you to grow and to know this love that surpasses all understanding. 
It's not just about me. It's not just about you. You can make a difference in someone's life in this church. The truth is at some point all of us get lost. We get scared. We wonder, am I really, am I really giving my life to the real thing? Maybe I should try something else. We all get tempted to wander off the path. But God has given each of us to the other. That's why we're a church. Those who have been built together. The scriptures say that two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Are you committed to ministry? Are you committed to the people around you? That's what it means if you want to be a member of this church. That I'm for you and you are for me. My life for yours and you are for me. Because I was made for a master, that means I was made for ministry to you. So we minister with our lives, just like Paul, the way he's living. I've noticed more and more for myself, having gone through this trial with our son's death, that people are coming to me and wanting to know about Christ. As we have had the opportunity, by God's grace, to minister with our lives the way we live. You minister with love, caring for someone else, reaching out to them. And you minister with legs. It takes work. It takes maybe putting down this so that you can do that. But God has made us to minister. See, I close with this, but the secret is a single mind. And when you have a single mind, you look on your circumstances as God's given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel out there, in here, and with you. And so you rejoice in what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. We're made for a mission. We're made for a master. And you were made to minister. By God's grace, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, let's pray. Lord, with what purpose you have filled our lives. Lord, you've made us ambassadors. You have put the seed of the gospel in our hearts. This message that has the power to wake the dead. To transform people's lives. Lord, thank you that someone has spoken into us. And we heard from you. Lord, if there's anyone in this congregation who has not made a decision to make Christ their master. Lord, I pray that they would hear this message, that they would understand and listen and turn and believe and bow to you, the master Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a passion to share the gospel. Give us a passion to say that to live as Christ and die as gain. And give us a passion to turn to one another, to be as um, sold out, Lord, for their spiritual growth as ours. To the betterment and glory of your church, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.